Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Hi, folks. It's Bob Vetter here. Before the podcast starts, I wanted to offer you something for free available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. It's a download of a game and map of the healer's journey called Sustos, named after the traumatic events that can lead to soul loss. The game provides insights in how we ourselves can be healed and how that process empowers us in our healing efforts with others. Get your free download at www.bobvetter.com. Now, let's get to our latest podcast episode. Greetings, listeners. I'm here today with Peter Rinch. Peter Rinch is CEO of Hollyhock, a leadership learning center focused on healing the problem of disconnection. Peter first came to Hollyhock in 2007 while working at Pivot Legal Society in Vancouver, Canada. Over the next decade, he returned to Hollyhock many times for learning, inspiration, and connection. Peter is an expert communicator, a bold fundraiser, and a strong organizational culture builder. He brings more than 10 years of social change leadership to his role at Hollyhock. So Peter Rinch, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Bob. It's great to be here. I'm excited for this conversation. Absolutely. So, Peter, I, you know, the, the, the topic that we are going to be talking about, of course, is healing and spirituality. And in this description of what Hollyhock is, the most important key word there, I think, is disconnection. And we also talked about connection in your bio. So maybe the way we could start is looking at the spiritual understanding of the difference between connection and disconnection. Yeah, for sure. That is a great way to start. And it's a deep conversation, obviously. Um, I think I'll start by saying that when I came to the job at Hollyhock almost five years ago, I didn't quite understand that this would be the, the job that I was getting into. I, I had come through Hollyhock, um, through social change circles, through working in social change. And I had always gone there for um, a sort of personal renewal. But as I as I got into the job and started looking at the full breadth of what Hollyhock does, I started to realize that there's this thread running through all of our leadership programming that is focused on um, connection to self, connection to others, and connection to the natural world, recognizing that all of them are intricately connected. And I guess what I would say to start is that when I look at the world, the state of the world right now, I think that you can almost trace every challenge that humanity is facing to a disconnection with self, other, and natural world. And, and there's a hard, you know, is there sort of a chicken or the egg, right? It's like where to start with that. But I, one thing, you know, in British Columbia here, we've had in the last 
five years, we've had three or four summers where there's been incredible forest fires, much like um, California, Washington State, and Oregon as well. And when I was growing up here, we didn't have those levels of forest fires. We had forest fires, but not like that. And so I think, okay, climate change. Well, what's really going on there? And it's this disconnection um, to the natural world, a world we used to live in connection with. Um, you know, and the original peoples who were in North America lived in connection with. And yet for the last two, 300 years, we've actually fostered disconnection and now we're starting to see the consequences. We are absolutely seeing the consequences. Um, I wanted to ask you about your experience with Buddhism and how this influenced your life and the work that you do at Hollyhock, because that's something that I just discovered in a, our short conversation before we began this podcast interview. So if you could start out by telling us a little bit about your background in Buddhism and then how that led to this wider concern with society and social change. Yeah, yeah that's a great question. Um, well, I think, you know, I can remember my most um, youngest sort of interest in Buddhism was like when I was a teenager. And I think like mo many teenagers in North America, I was sort of rebelling against your sort of standard Christian ideas. Um, and I was looking for something more and, and I got sort of attracted to Buddhism. And then, you know, in my undergraduate degree, I actually studied Buddhism as half my degree. And I think that, um, you know, when you study something like that, um, at a university, it can be pretty um, academic. Uh, and, and so my relationship with Buddhism was fairly academic. But then I came out of university and I started working in social change in Vancouver. And I just sort of stumbled into an organization that was run by um, a very strong practicing Buddhist. But it was a very ferocious organization. And he used to call it engaged Buddhism that the idea was that, that the sort of, the world with all its contradictions required a deep like meditative practice and, and, a, and a, you know, a sort of focus on our own reactivity for us to move through the world with intention. And I think that that, sort of engaged Buddhism really spoke to me. And luckily I had sort of the academic understanding of, of the spiritual tradition that I, I could actually start with a mentor in, in um, this founder of the organization I was working with in my late twenties, I could actually start to work on my own engaged Buddhism, Buddhist practice through the world. And so when I came to Hollyhock, I, I mean, it was, you know, Hollyhock is an organization that does not have a, a set spiritual belief, like there's sort of a no dogma feeling to it. But what I would say is that the sort of philosophy of Buddhism of, 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 of leading an intentional and skillful life um, is fairly present at Hollyhock, although, you know, we wouldn't necessarily call it Buddhism. And I think for me, what it meant was when I look at the platform that is Hollyhock, let's do so with an engaged lens to society. 
let's not just do meditation for the sake of meditation or yoga for the sake of yoga or, or, um, you know, cooking classes for the sake of cooking classes. Let's think about how we can engage these skills with the world to lead the world to a better place. And how do we do that? Yeah, well, that like, let's get back to the disconnection and the connection conversation then. Because I think that one of the like fundamental insights of Buddhism is this idea that um, we are an integrated whole of many um, shifting selves and that the core skill is awareness. The core skill is awareness of those shifting selves. And so, you know, the, the classic metaphor in Buddhism is um, in meditation is that um, the mind is quiet. There are many clouds coming across the sky, but we don't fixate on any of them. And I think one of the like fundamental truths of disconnection is that we are disconnected from ourselves and others and the natural world when we hold tight to a belief and believe it is the only way forward because what you know buddhism as a ancient theory of philosophy or religion or spiritual system and neuroscience knows is that ideas come in and they come out and they're only really activated when we grab them but other than that they're just figments of our imagination even though we believe in them often so deeply. So ideas come and go. Our attachment causes suffering, as we know from the, the earliest teachings of the, the Buddha. And how does that translate into our modern world? I mean, yeah. we, the, there has never been maybe more of a constant flow of ideas. I, I think about the internet and how we we live in a, an age of obsession with data with with information the average yeah. person is just absolutely bombarded whether it's by social media or emails or television whatever it is it's it's all of these ideas floating in space yeah so yeah. we have a very we're living in a unique age in terms of human experience and i'm just wondering how you make sense of that from this Buddhist lens. Yeah, well, that's interesting too, right? Because I think that is absolutely true. We, we, we are living in, what do they say, the information economy. So there's information everywhere. But what I think is also true is that the quality of the information has decreased. And, and so what we're seeing is these um, echo chambers that we all live in. And, and I think that, you know, in our politics, in our science, in our um, socializing, we're seeing um, a, re a return to almost, um, you know, I, I, these core groups is what I was going to say. I was listening to a podcast recently and they were talking about how Americans, they were using, and I think you could say the same thing about Canadians, is they don't have the, the backyard barbecues anymore with their neighbors because because we're so used to seeing the social media bubble of all the people who believe the same things we believe that the idea of just getting 
a neighborhood together and having food together seems ridiculous because we're so we're so diametrically opposed. You're either a Republican or a Democrat. You're either for um, the economy or you're for the environment. Um, you're either for masks or against masks. You know, it's it's the 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 polarization of this data age. Um, it's almost like counterintuitive to the idea that there's so much more information, but maybe it's a symptom of so much information that we need to parse it. And we end up in these echo chambers of people who just agree with us. And I think the wisdom that Buddhism provides is, is this awareness you know, um, one of the practices that I, you know, as a CEO, I'm, I'm caught, like, sometimes I just think about myself as a decision-making machine, but I'm, I'm constantly in this practice of trying to become aware of my own, the stories I'm telling myself to get to a decision and, and recognizing that those stories I can choose to believe them or not. And I, and I kind of have to, to make decisions. I sort of have to believe some stories to make decisions. But I think like this, you know, a fundamental tenet of Buddhism that's always been so intriguing to me is, is the emptiness of emptiness. So it's like the idea that I have, I believe this and thus I will make this decision. But I also know that that belief and that decision are empty. But the answer is not abdication or nihilism. It's just an awareness that even though I'm making this decision, that decision is also empty of any true nature. And, and that sort of is, is also a great way of understanding the the times that we live in where everything is narrative yes where yes. the idea of something being true that we can believe intersubjectively yes is almost non-existent because as uh -huh. you say you either there's this big cleaving of society and you weigh in on one extreme end or you weigh in on the other that's right that's right. Well, yeah, you think about it, like, you know, I'm, I'm 46. So I was born in the 70s. But if you go back, like, if I look at my mom's generation, and I think, you know, her parents and, and, and she when she was younger, you know, they watched the six o'clock news here in, in Canada, there was one national news broadcast, and there was one national news anchor. And that news anchor told you the news. And, and so the this, you know, and you, you could have opinions about it. You could, you know, po political opinions or social opinions, but, but generally everyone received the same channel, you know, and now, and I think um, the, uh, the pandemic is a great example of this. Our system has, as you said earlier, not just hundreds of channels, literally millions of channels. And it's really hard to know what channel is telling the quote unquote truth, if there is such a thing, you know? And so as, as, um, as like a advanced primate, our, our goal is to 
is to collate all the information we have and then make the best decision we can and then build an editorial off it. And I think that the challenge we live in is that sometimes the or editorial becomes, um, th there's no humility in the editorial. And, and that's like, again, going back to Buddhism, like if I can hold and I can't every day and I win and lose all the time, but if I can hold the truth that I've made this decision and I'm going to have a narrative, but the narrative just reflects my affirmation of the decision. And if I can hold the truth that even the decision was a judgment, it wasn't a right or wrong. It was a, it was a, it was a call I made in time and space. And there is a right, there, there's, there's a way of looking at it that's not right. And there's a way of looking at it that's right. And I'm choosing the right one, but I might change my mind if I'm flexible enough, if I'm aware enough. And I think like, you know, Hollyhock is a leadership learning organization. And that's the fundamental challenge for leaders in, in the present moment in the 21st century is we can't be like leaders from the 20th century where we just had to pick a path and go for it. We actually have to be very good at understanding multiple viewpoints and holding the space for it and at the same time making decisions. Um, and often, and I'll just speak from personal experience, I actually don't have a problem making a decision, but where I have a problem, like where I suffer is, is holding the complexity and the truth that my decision was just a call I made in space and time. Yeah. So, Peter, what I'd like to do is kind of back up a little bit to where we started in our interview, where you talked about um, connection to self, others, and the natural world. Yeah. And I, I want to just, this is not a, this is not a, a challenge as much as it's just a chance for me to voice an opinion. Sure. And the thing that I come from much more of, let's say, an indigenous perspective than a Buddhist perspective. So I would add to that. I, I agree 100% with the idea that connection is where we started. Disconnection is where we have ended up in the modern world and we, we suffer the consequences. And so much of human suffering comes out of that. I would, from my perspective, I would add the some theistic notions to that mm. i would add that we have a disconnection from creator mm -hmm. and that 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 has a i know in buddhism you know that buddhism is non-theistic buddhism is based on it's not atheistic and it's not exactly agnostic but it's non-theistic to say that we we turn our attention to the world that we live in yeah and not that to deny that a God exists, but to say that let's deal with the notion of suffering in the here and now. Yeah. So I understand why Buddhism takes that perspective. I'm just saying that from my vantage point, mm -hmm. uh, I see our disconnection as including the disconnection from creator. Yeah. And even if we don't want to say that, even if we, we don't want to invoke a creator or a concept of God, clearly there still is this sense of the sacred yes of what yeah. is sacred in our experience and i'm just curious 
how you would respond to that. Uh, you personally, yeah. I'm not asking you to speak for all Buddhists across the world. <laughs> I'm glad. Um, yeah, no, I think it's a great, it's a great point, Bob. I, I think, so it's interesting when I was listening to you say those things, I was, I was trying to figure out where those notions fit for me because I think, um, and what I would say is that I think for me personally, when I say disconnected from self, disconnected from others and disconnected from the natural world, recognizing they're all connected. I think what I would say is where I see God or a concept of God is in all of those places. So I think that like, if I wanted to get very literal um, around Buddhism, so I, I, I actually very much agree with the the frame of Buddhism you gave. Like it's a non, um, you know, it, it is it's very much focused on practice of being here and now. But what I would say is that Buddhism also has this this, um, you know, one of the the great insights of the Buddha was that through meditation and practice you can get to Nirvana. And, and I think that nirvana often, you know, in translated to Christian ears or to North American ears or to Western um, European ears sounds like heaven or, or some place. But what I actually think of it is, is its transcendence of ego. And so I think that, you know, this concept of Buddha nature that shows up in Buddhism is like that is actually reconnection with, um, you know, God, um, because it is like, and it's reconnection with the universe, really. Like I think, and th this actually plays into the conversation we're having, is because I think sometimes when we're we're in our lives and the clouds are passing by and we grab one, whether it's like, you know. Um, whether it's like, I like chocolate or I like strawberry ice cream, but you grab one. It's like you lose connection to the universal curiosity of creation. You know, that like one thing I'm so certain of is the universe just wants to keep going. The universe just wants to keep going, whether you call it a God or, or, you know, reproduction or whatever it is, photosynthesis, it, it wants to keep going. And, and when I think about, you know, connection to others, I think it's very similar, actually. I think that in our connection to others, when we act as a community, when we create the great things that this society, this species has created, that is the manifestation of God or the universe. And then the natural world, I think that this one is a little more concrete for me. I think that, you know, growing up where I did in these like unseated indigenous lands of the Coast Salish people, it's like, this place is spiritual. This, this, these trees, these ancient cedars, these ancient waters, like these places are alive. And when we disconnect from that, when we look at as, as we have in both of our countries, we look at the West as an extractive um, place where you get lumber and you sell commodity. I mean, that, that is the biggest disconnection to, to, to God that I believe is possible.
that when you view the land and everything that sustains us as commodity. I agree. Yeah. Well, let's let's bring it now to the the work that you're engaged in at Hollyhock. Right. And to bring this around to the notions that we started with and that are the theme of my podcast of this intersection of healing and spirituality where those two meet can you tell us a little bit about what hollyhock does to answer that question and how how that is embedded within the the wider society and the need for social change and leadership yeah yeah absolutely so I think um, I'll start with just again personal stories. So I, I, uh, you know, I graduated from grad school, and I, you know, I, I said, okay, I want to, I want to do something good for the world. I want to work in nonprofit, and I sort of um, figured out what I wanted to do, and I started working in in a social change organization in Vancouver's um, downtown east side, which is a neighborhood of Vancouver. It's ten blocks, and it has the health outcomes of like a developing society. Um, you know, incredible homelessness, incredible um, uh, drug use, uh, incredible mental health challenges. And so I worked there for 10 years. And what I would say in working in that system for 10 years is I met amazing people who were so heart committed to the work, um, but they were burning themselves out. They were burning themselves out and, and just were so focused on um, getting the work done. And I think what I came to realize is that places like Hollyhock, and there's a number of them across North America that are actually looking at the whole person. Like what, what is your experience? What is your emotional experience? What is your spiritual experience? What is your intellectual experience? What is your social experience of being a human in the world um, actually creates more resilient people to do social change work. And I think that a big realization I had was that on some level, the, the social change sector was replicating um, a number of the practices built into like sort of the colonial mindset that burns people out, that um, disposes of people, that um, treats people transactionally. And and, and I think that it was making our movements for change very brittle and, and not resilient. And so when I came to Hollyhock, Hollyhock was already doing this work for a long time. And in fact, in Hollyhock's DNA was this sort of combination of a humanist psychology and activism. And so when, and I had come through a number of Hollyhock programs where I had a number of really, really important, you know, epiphanies about my own leadership, about my role in the world, about what I cared about, what my purpose was. And so I think the work that we're trying to do, we're bringing leaders in, social change leaders into our organization and saying, um, you know, it's more than just grinding it out. Like if you keep grinding out the work, you keep working on the hard strategy, you may get somewhere, but you're not going to be who you want to be when you get there. And so our frame is really like, let's become the people that the future needs and that those people are, are wise and aware and not disconnected from their own selves, their own needs, 
their communities and the natural world. And so a huge part of our work, like, so we'll have social change conferences that are focused on some of the hardest issues of our time. And we'll make sure that there's somatic practices, that there's um, forest bathing, that there's time in the ocean, that there's, um, you know, uh, beautiful meals that leave people feeling really well taken care of so that they can actually grow more connected to themselves. Cause that that's central to our theory of change is that we can't create the world we want if we're not the people we need to be. Wonderful. Well, in full disclosure, I have to tell everyone that, uh, that I taught a workshop for Hollyhock and also helped out a little bit during their uh, recent fundraiser. And I have to say that I really feel a close affinity with the work that all of you are doing there, um, both the individuals that are doing it, as well as the whole uh, purpose of it and, and how all of it fits together in really working toward a new and better world. So Peter, I, I wanna give you a chance to let our listeners know how they can find out more about Hollyhock. Yeah, well, first I just say thanks so much, Bob, for giving me the opportunity to, uh, to chat today. It's been a total pleasure and uh, it was really great to have you as part of our fundraiser. Um, so yeah, so please check us out at www.hollyhawk.ca. Um, we're, we're a seasonal, we run programs seasonally in person on Cortez Island in British Columbia, which is a beautiful uh, wilderness spot um, far away from cities. And we also run programs virtually online, um, which you can see on our website as well. Um, and we'd love to have as many of your listeners come join us either online or in person. Um, it'd be great. I really want to encourage everybody listening to check out Hollyhock. Um, so Peter Rinch, thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, it was great. Thank you, Bob. And thank you everyone out there for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. Before you go, I wanted to remind you of free healing resources available on my website, www.bobvetter.com. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.